I would rather take a loan from a bank or somewhere else, even if like, even if it's cost me more than my policy, because I value control and liquidity. I just think life insurance, when set up and used properly, enhances every part of your life, including your when you pass away to options in the future. Nobody has ever invested in anything because of rate of return. Rate of returns are always based on uh, an unknown future. Hey guys, it's Caleb Williams. With If you don't value control, especially when it comes to your money throughout your life, then the message of overfunding life insurance is not going to be that compelling. But if you value control and you're seeking, how do I maximize and optimize control, understanding the time value of money, then, then obviously it, it increases more. And that actually goes down if we want to have a conversation about this and even how I make decisions on when I use my policy versus not there's yeah. Like I've, I've had videos where I've talked about like, you know, I'm a big fan of it has to be mathematical makes sense. If you're going to take a loan, we may disagree or agree on this, but I'll even go far enough to say, I would rather take a loan from a bank or somewhere else, even if like, even if it's cost me more than my policy, because I value control and liquidity. And like a lot of people just don't even have a framework of how to think about that. But I'm constantly thinking through the lens of, how do I maximize control and maximize the ability to save? Yeah. And, and, and the me, reason that you think you have to caveat that with like a precursor when you talk to people like me or anyone in the IBC community is because the whole IBC community has tried to produce a magical mindset about using policies. Yeah. And so then you, you come in and you're like nervous to say something because <laughs> you're thinking... I may just rain on his parade. Like he's yeah. been telling everybody to borrow money to buy cars for forever. And there's some magical sauce to it. And they're going to make a whole bunch of money after they borrowed from uh, the policy to buy this vehicle or go on this vacation. And uh, I'm in, I'm in total agreement with you. Yeah. In the, yeah. Pretty much the whole across the board. Yeah. I use my policies more often than a lot of people, but that's because I've kind of built my life around that is my 100% capital warehouse. So anytime I need capital, I'm going to use policies to do it, except for it. You bring it up like, hey, if I'm going to go buy a car, yeah. I don't know if I want to put my capital that's in policies and stick it in the car yeah. whenever I could. That, that just means I don't have that to do anything else with. I could just go to the bank and get the car loan. I don't even care about the interest rate yeah. anymore. It's like, hey, I would rather have the money available to use yeah, for something more important than... Well what are your thoughts on these two things? I see people teaching people how to use IBC to pay off their mortgage. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I've been very against it for quite some time. Okay. And then uh, your... now I would say that, by the way, real quick, for some of the clients listening to this, I know Ray maybe have had, was a, had a different opinion than me <laughs> uh, around paying off your mortgage with a policy loan. But I, all that to say, yes, I've never been a huge fan of sticking hundreds of thousands of dollars of your liquid capital into your house. Right. And, um, and here's the deal is there's, there's always multiple ways to approach any situation. Yeah. And I think uh, like uh, an example of this is like paying off debt. We could go mathematical, but with people that have bad debt, usually it's not a math problem. Usually yeah. it's a heart problem. <laughs> So, so I always have to, you have to be careful when you try to like apply math in certain aspects because majority of your personal financial life has nothing to do with math. And this is coming from someone that's like very mathematically yeah. inclined. Most financial problems exist because of psychological issues, yeah. not because of like 
any sort of logical framework. And I, I think you maybe were referring to that time where I, I remember watching a video with Dave Ramsey and Ben Shapiro where he was talking to or Ben asked him, like, you know, in your model, Dave, you go through this debt snowball where you start with the, the lowest uh, amount debt and then move up from there. But technically, mathematically, it would make more sense to start with the highest interest debt. You'll get your debt paid off faster. So why don't we just do it that way? And he go and he he had the same exact response that you did, which was essentially like, hey, if they have bad debt, if they have credit card debt, they didn't get into it because they were thinking of math. They have there's there's a psychological problem there, and yeah. that's what I brought up too with uh, IBC and some of the things that people get involved with. Many times people want to get certain things proven. I'm like, we can prove things, but psychologically, that's actually what matters yeah. more than math. Yeah, most and- people fail financially because of psychological problems not because yeah and so let's, let's just work. walk through this and and by the way you don't even have to air this if it's if it's going to create like you know this, <laughs> we have, the, the cool well, thing our whole business is going to implode because of yeah. this interview but yeah yeah so the the thought here's here's the way that i explain this is you have your your money's got to reside somewhere yeah and right. there's no better place long term that's safe that has different has creditor protections that i believe when you factor in the, the growth long-term, if you look at the internal rate of return, when you factor in other things like taxes and cost of insurance, like you, you're you're getting a place that's a pretty amazing rate of return. But then also, we just I just think life insurance, when set up and used properly, enhances every part of your life, including yeah. your, when you pass away to options in the future. So like we have to we have to understand the value of life insurance, and it cannot just be a rate of return. Like if, if all you cared 100%. about is rate of return, then you could make arguments that you could leverage it somewhere else. But if people have an appreciation of having their money in life insurance for the long-term benefits, uh, like, and they understand that, that's, that's part number one. Part number two is um, your greatest financial need is your need for using money throughout your life. Like we're a majority of people going to spend a lot more than they ever save. And so, yeah. so you, you, your, your money's got to to like, we have to be able to solve that problem. And so the, the, the idea is for the second area, I'm, I'm just looking at opportunity cost of everything that we do. My first question is, should I buy this thing? Because a lot of people are buying cars, homes, going on vacations, and, and they're really, they, they shouldn't be doing that activity to begin with. So, so it's like, it doesn't matter how you pay for it. It's like, you probably shouldn't do that to begin with. But assuming yeah. that you're like really good with your life and like, this is where I want to go, then it's what's the most efficient way to purchase that thing when you're when you take into account, you know, all 30, of the resources 40, available. Years. Yeah. Oh, and, okay. Yeah. And so for me, it it just goes back down to you know my money is in my in my policy, but but I don't necessarily combine the it's going to grow and all these things with with the borrowing decision because they're two separate decisions for me. If I'm going to utilize the policy. I need to understand that there's a cost to that and there's a benefit for using. And so for me, every decision that I use my quote unquote policy for, I need to know that there's a control cost and then there's a, a benefit and it might not be a mathematical benefit, but I need to be able to justify that I'm, I'm, there's a cost to this decision and a benefit. And then, then I just look at, is there other places that I should use that money, like a bank or credit union with cash and other things. And that's how I ultimately decide. But then I take it a step further and say, you know, mathematic math math would say if you can borrow at five and earn seven, that's a forty percent rate of return on your money. It's mm-hmm. costing you five to earn seven percent in that one year. That's forty percent. So the question that people would have is like, should I use my policy? And I will never ever 
to the day I die, give advice on if you should use your policy or not, because that kind of is a gray area for me. But for me, I would say, heck no. I would rather give up the extra 2% or the 40% on that, on that equation to just keep more control of my money. And if I'm going to use my money, it's going to be number one, get me really clear about where we're going, like helping me live out that intentional life, or it's going to be a far greater rate of return than a few percent. Hmm. So I would rather make less money year to year with the, with more control than have all my money kind of like tied up and then the inability to say yes to that business or acquisition or thing. That's by the way, this is not advice to like what you should do. That's just like how I view it. So no, I like, you're, let, yeah. me, let me see if I can put it back to you. So you're saying like, hey, let's say I can borrow from my policy at five to go do something that you want to do that's going to better your life and you've already made the decision. It's a great opportunity, right? And But you're saying you could also, you have access to some sort of funds from somewhere else at 7%. Is that what you're trying to describe? No, no, no. I'm saying if or I could, the, sorry, sorry. If I could borrow at five and earn seven, in that equation, I would make 40% of my money. Right, okay. And, and what you could say is you should do that all day long. And what I'm saying is, well, if you do that all day long, you might be not able to say yes to the 20% rate of return. Oh, you're right. Okay. 100% agreed then. Yeah. Like in every way. Yeah. yeah. 100%. So I and I was going to agree with the other thing go, I was saying with you too, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I was going to agree on both fronts. Go the, the, and that's where, oh, that's where it's like the majority of people, they're tying up all their money in like mutual funds or investments. And they're just, they're going to get average returns with probably more risk than, than like the real good yeah. investors. And they have no opportunity to really create a life-changing decision because all their money's always tied up. For me, it's like, that's why I'm a big fan of life insurance. I have lots of money that's sitting ready to be deployed, but right. it also okay. yeah. allows me to show up powerfully in business knowing that if everything hits the fan, I'm, I'm not, I, I, have a, I have years that I could survive and it allows me to make maybe more risky or more calculated business decisions long-term than having to make monthly business decisions based on, can I be able to pay my mortgage? Yeah, I definitely agree. In fact, I even have a term for what you just said based on a book uh, that, why can't I remember the name of it? <laughs> Everyone who listens to my podcast probably remembers the books. I keep bringing it up. Um <laughs> Who's the guy who wrote the book, The Black Swan and uh, uh, The Seem to leave? Yeah. Okay. Yep. To leave. It, it was, man, which, which one was it though? Yeah. Anti-fragile. Yeah. Anti-fragile. Okay. Yep. The book Anti-Fragile. Thank, thank goodness I thought of it. He describes, you know, he's, he was a hedger. And so he's, he's, under, he's very risk oriented, understanding where does, where do I have a high probability of gain with a low probability of loss? And he called that the barbell idea where he felt like you should live your life on the barbell where yep. on one side you have you know, your safe, liquid, accessible capital that's growing in the safe environment and you skip over the middle, you don't spend any time in the middle yeah. and you only use your capital to go do things with a very high potential return, potentially a life-changing or unlimited upside with a known or low downside. Yeah. And he called that kind of investing in the barbell. And I've been promoting that, you know, to our audience really, which is saying I pass over eight to 10% deals all day. Like, I don't even get out of bed for those because I'm only looking to do the barbell deals, which would be deals that have essentially unlimited upside or a very high level of upside. Most of them with, with a known downside or a low risk of downside. And honestly, 
And I know everyone wishes they would, I say this and they all come to me like, Nate, well, give us an example of a barbell deal. Where do I find these barbell deals? I have an example. And yeah. I'm, I can give you one too. But one of the things I was going to say though, is that normally barbell deals are created. Yep. They are not off the shelf. Yep. So normally it is a, either a business you're a part of or business you're going to start, or it's a deal you make with somebody, not just like essentially the people who I've used like uh, commercial real estate uh, syndications as like an idea of this, not as a barbell deal, but essentially what I'm saying is to the person who started the commercial real estate syndication firm, them getting your money is a barbell deal. <laughs> they don't have any money in the game and they have all this upside. So their, their risk of loss is very low. Their chance of making a ton of money is very high and you are investing in the middle. Like you're, it's a middle of the, you actually take all the risk that the, the, the thing could go under and you could lose all your money. Um, whereas there's very little risk to that other individual. But what I'm trying to bring up is to them, it's a barbell deal because they started the business. They're actually running it. So now all that, and I know we we're, we're running out of time, but my goal is I've only got a few, but that's what I'm trying to bring up. You actually only need a few opportunities that yeah. are what we call barbell opportunities to have yeah. an extremely yeah. prosperous financial life. You can just we're, completely we're, bypass the middle. We're on the same, we're on the same page. Cause I even, even would say that, um, you have to create those. A lot of times you have to 90% be... of the and time. And so part creating. of it, shocker, this is, this is like, it could mean investing in a mastermind to up-level your relationships, because I'm also a, a firm believer that if you're like, grow your income, grow your ability to create value, because a lot of times cash flow is just a symptom, is just an output of value creation. 100%. And a lot of times, if we look at our financial life, we're, it's the equivalent of someone that's like, creating average value that wants a extra average life. And it's like, okay, you could, we could figure out how to like set up a policy and then arbitrage your money, all this stuff. And it's like, or you could literally just save your money, figure out how to create more value, which might mean specialized knowledge, increase your relationship, whatever. And everything gets better when you, when you've yeah. quadrupled your ability <laughs> to create value, if you understand what I mean, like everything. 100%. And so all that to say, like, that's, that's really like, uh, it's cool for us to actually process this out because I don't know if any other podcast, um, you know, I don't, it's it's not common for podcasts to get like in the weeds like this, but I think like these kind of mindsets are going all the way back to why I'm a big fan of life insurance. When set up and used properly, it does, it allows me to be like, hey, my money, like next 30, 40, 50 years, like I'm really, really happy with just where that's going to go. Yeah, exactly right. And then the ability to be able to like put my money on things that I actually really, really care about. And that could have like be life changing. And for me, I don't, I've not had any life changing moments, but our business, when I look at all of what's happened, man, like so much fulfillment and like lots of current and future cash flow because of different businesses that I've been a part of. And it's only been made possible because I have a solid foundation. If I didn't, if all my money was tied up in other things, I would not be talking to you right now. Yeah. And so I'm not saying you know everyone has to follow those footsteps, but I think there is something to say about build that foundation. And then your life is literally just a canvas on what you can paint and create. And your money is a resource. It's, it's, it's part of that equation, but, but it's not everything. So yeah, 100%. Um, yeah. This is why you and I would say the rate of return is overplayed in every financial decision. In fact, I've yeah. actually mentioned many times in the podcast that nobody has ever invested in anything because of rate of return. And I know that, that that's like a statement that, of course, people would say, well, no, I do all the time. But I'm saying no, because rate of returns are always based on uh, an unknown future. 
So what you're actually making decisions based on is a deeper, more, more primal, instinctual uh, probability analysis that you don't even know is going on, that we just do as human beings. So the idea is like whenever, if someone was to say, I've got an investment, Caleb, that's going to offer you a 15% rate of return. And another guy says, I've got an investment that's going to offer you a 13% rate of return. Which one are you going to take? And the idea is you do not know enough information to determine which one you're going to take. That's because nobody invests in rate of return. They invest in the things that produce the rate of return, like the actual business that's coming coming on, you know, for, to, to produce the rate of return. So no one is in a vacuum just going through picking rates of return. They're always based on projections. They're always, of course, the project. Everything is based on an unknown future. So yeah. there's and only projections. And yeah. everything is a projected rate of return based on assumptions. And yeah. so you're actually investing based on assumptions. You're not investing based on yeah. rate of return. And that's one of the things I try to tell people, like the same thing goes with IBC. I am, I am pouring all my money to IBC or quote unquote IBC or policies overfunded, the end asset, whatever you want to call it in, in as many iterations. I'm pouring so much capital in there because I believe it is the strongest, best place for capital to accumulate and grow for me to access, to go do the deals that I want to do and live the life I want to live. I think it's just that it had nothing truly to do per se. It wasn't a rate of return decision. I didn't go compare a policy to every other investment vehicle and say, it's going to generate for me the highest rate of return, which I say facetiously because that is impossible to determine. <laughs> yeah. We're Dude, dealing I, with an I, unknown future based on assumptions, but I all that it. to this say, I'll give yeah. Dave Ramsey credit. I heard him speak to a, um, someone recently and he's like one thing that people don't factor in when they talk about le using leverage is risk. And I a hundred percent agree. Like that's something that's actually impossible to measure based on yeah. an equation, but it's risk is one of those things, regardless, you need to factor that in. Um, and I could also push that back on Dave Ramsey and say like your 12% mutual funds, like that also goes into that equation. Yeah. Um, but like, I do think that understanding that um, is really key to every decision that we make is not just the projected rate of return, but understanding the likelihood and probability of that. Which is, as you bring up, is that is the science. Like it's, or it's, a, it's not, it's an impossible science. Yep. You know, we, we, you and I can never understand what the actual probability of loss truly is in any yep. given adventure. It's impossible to understand. But that's one of the reasons why I try to tell people, I think you would agree with this, that I don't like to, I'm willing to, in fact, I enjoy using a little bit of other people's money to allow me to remain more liquid. I think that's kind of what you were bringing yeah, up same. earlier. Same. So like a mortgage is a classic example. Do okay. I have liquidity to pay off my house? Yes. Yeah, me too. I would be laying up in bed at night sweating if I did that <laughs> right now. It would just, it would yeah. not make any financial sense for me from a peace of mind standpoint, I would have less peace of mind because People, I'm using leverage yeah. to have more security and also more opportunity. But it's not just a math equation for me. It's like, I believe what we're doing in the next 10, 20, 30 years, like, I think it's going to be remarkable. And I say that as humbly as I possibly can. <laughs> but the only thing yeah. that's going to take me out of that is, is, is literally financially health-wise. Like if something in the core, like relationships, health, money, if like one of those things like blow up, that, that could that could be devastating to where we're trying to go. And so for me, I'm always, I'm, I'm thinking about how do, how do we make sure like how we have that all in alignment as well. And so, yeah, um, that's good. Yeah. It's 100%. And as you brought up, you know, with the mortgage, I, you bring up that you feel better having the money to pay off the mortgage. And I'm curious why more people are not naturally thinking that way. 
Because I think a lot of control. us. Without control. Yeah, yeah, I do. Control. And Most debt is not one of these things that we're scared about. Like debt yeah. for me is just a tool. Like I think of just you have an investment portfolio, you have a debt portfolio. Everything yeah. needs to be efficient because since we went off the gold standard, like Re Re Federal Reserve notes, like cash is a form of debt. So we have to understand that like everything, we're, we're using a debt-based society. So you can think you're paying cash. You're just, you're paying debt instruments for other things and you may not be leveraged, but some it, it's in the leveraged system. So for me, I'm just looking back from a, I need to be more efficient. And the way that I measure efficiency is through cash flow. Yeah. And that's 100%. what retirement should be called future cash flow planning. And I think if it was called <laughs> future cash flow planning, people would do different things with their money than what they're doing now. Thank you so much for listening to the Better Wealth Podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could hit subscribe, leave a review, and share this with the people that you know and love.